my whole thing is if you're not financing me, feeding me or fucking me, it's none of your business. If I'm going to sit here and say I'm I'm a guy just like everybody else, then why do I have to parade around and tell everybody I'm trans? I'm saying I'm a guy like everybody else. So what was the point of saying it? Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast where we talk about all the things we don't talk about in real life. My name is Christina, your host, and I'm currently sitting in my apartment just like sweating up a storm because um, we're, we're currently in the middle of a heat wave here in Seattle, as many of you are in other parts of the world. It's going to reach like 108 degrees tomorrow, I believe. Which is insane, because I, I think I heard something like in the last 300 years, Seattle has had like 300 degree days or, you know, 100 degree plus days. And then this weekend we're having three 100 degree plus days. So it's kind of scary. And um, no one here has AC really, so everyone's freaking out. Uh, I was gifted a box fan by a friend that I have going full blast but um, obviously I turned it off to record this so I'm gonna make the intro short and sweet so I can get back to attempting to cool myself but yeah today I am interviewing with Micah Rolden he is a trans activist youth mentor youtuber and all-around motivational guy he's the host of realistically free which is a podcast for personal development life relationships advice and mentorship uh, using his own personal experience. Today we talk about the intersection of mental health and race, uh, gender and sexual identity, uh, what it means for relationships, and it's a really great conversation and I can't wait for you to hear. Um, like I said, this is going to be short, but first I guess let me update you a little bit about my life. If you're new to the podcast, I am currently in eating disorder recovery. Um, I've had bulimia for 15 years now, and earlier this year I was in treatment for three months. I got out, and I guess I've had a few lapses since then. Well, okay, let's just call it a relapse. I've had a relapse since then, but every day I'm getting a little better. You know, I'm trying my best to adult and eat healthy food and let myself rest when my body's telling me to let it rest. Last week I was telling you I had shin splints from overexercising and I still got them. They refused to quit and it's been a real lesson in patience for me. Um, it's also kind of made me look hard at my habits and what I need to change. So if you are like me and you use overexercising as a way to either purge calories or if you just really like walking like I do, maybe listen to your body and don't get shin splints like me because there's nothing you can really do about them and they will never go away. Um, what else? I feel like I've been pretty AWOL this week um, as far as podcast stuff goes. I've been exploring a lot of um, new job opportunities and hopefully finalizing an apartment in Virginia tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this, I'll know for sure, but that's been going on. I'm almost about to pay my last month of rent in Seattle before moving to Virginia, and it's really wild. It's, it's honestly a relief because rent here sucks, but um, it also really sneaked up on me. You know, I remember being in treatment in January and making the decision to move back to the East Coast to be closer to my family and just focus on recovery. And it seemed like so far away. Like I remember thinking, oh man, I don't want to have to wait the whole summer because at the time I was struggling really hard and I was alone. And since then, uh, I haven't felt so much alone. Um, but since then, there's been a lot of good things happening in my life. I'm meeting a lot of new people online and offline, going on some dates, starting to sell my belongings. It's all very exciting and I'm trying not to let it overwhelm me. So I know I said at the beginning of Pride Month that I was going to be releasing episodes on a weekly basis, and I, I have been doing that uh, this month, 
but as I'm sure you've noticed, I've been late a few days on some of them, and um, it just kind of stressed me out. Not to say that I'm not going to continue to do it moving forward. I'm going to try to keep doing it weekly, at least until I move in August, but yeah, I, I mean, I just have so many great interviews with guests that I want you all to hear, but if I do end up skipping a week here or there or posting an episode late, don't hate me. I'm just doing my best over here. Um, with that said, I am going to jump into my interview with Micah. I hope you all enjoy and are staying safe this final weekend of Pride Month. As always, thank you so much for listening and don't forget to follow me on social media to say hi. All right, here is the interview and enjoy. So you just called yourself a boomer. How old are you? I'm joking. I was completely Okay, joking. I was like, you're, you look very young for your age. How old do you think I am? Hmm, I hate this question. 30. Oh, come on. Give me, I'm 27. 26? I'm 27. Oh, okay, okay. You were okay. close. I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis already. Well, you get to talk about all of that today on the podcast. Aren't you excited? <laughs> Do you, um, I heard you like cursing a little bit in your last episodes, but I don't know if that's like a no go or not. Oh yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay, cool. Yeah. You mind if I if I grab a cigarette while we? Oh talk? yeah, go for it. Cool. One sec. <laughs> that's funny you say that because I always like vape while I'm doing interviews, mm. and like I always <sighs> felt like it's unprofessional. Yeah, I don't care. Some people do. Yeah. Some people do. So depending on like what I'm doing, I, I'll like hold off and not. I got to quit smoking. It's such a disgusting habit. <laughs> hey, we all have our vices, especially right now. I feel like it's. I'm just practicing harm reduction these days. I'm with you on that. So welcome to Pickles and Vodka. I really, really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Um, It was so kind of last minute. And like I, I saw your podcast and I, ch I listened to like um, a few episodes. It's so hard to choose because there's so many good topics you cover. Thank you. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. You should introduce yourself to the listeners. What's up, everybody on Pickles and Vodka? My name is Micah and I am a motivational speaker, a mentor and a mental health advocate, specifically dealing with trans masculine individuals. And I run a YouTube channel and a podcast. Wow, that was so much more professional than anything I could have done. <laughs> so uh, you are here to tell me about yourself and your story. So um, I usually ask people about their childhoods first, like what if mental health was discussed or mm -hmm. how what that was like. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder too, basically when I was like probably about 10 years old, 11 years old. Um, so I've struggled with mental illness, like my, essentially my entire life, um, whether it be like, you know, with bipolar, if you didn't know bipolar disorder, especially bipolar disorder two, there's two phases, there's manic phase and, and then there's depressive phases, which now I don't think the DSM even calls it bipolar disorder anymore. I think it's called like manic depression. It's mm. basically the difference now. So basically I've dealt with mental illness my whole life. I was a drug addict uh, for probably about eight years from the time I was like 12 up until I was about 20 years old. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I currently reside in Pennsylvania. So I've had a fucked life, basically. Um, <laughs> like, I, I could, I, I don't think we'd have enough time in this episode for me to describe my entire life. Um, other than I'm in a good place now. I've been sober going on seven years, eight years. Congrats. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten my mental health in check. So I'm a big advocate for people speaking to a therapist, life coach, someone that can help them through their journey. Like you were saying earlier, we all have a story. You know, we all have somewhere we came from that fucked us royally. We all have baggage, basically. So I'm a big uh, advocate for getting somebody to talk to, even if it's a friend, someone you can vent to that can try to help you through it. But hopefully a positive person because we don't need more negative bullshit. Yeah, can you imagine if a therapist were like just shit on you all the time and was like, yeah, no, you, I don't know. I've heard some stories and I've had some myself with some, you know, therapists that weren't very um, the most caring or the the most engaged, which kind of put me off to therapy for a couple of years because when I was, I started therapy probably when I was about eight and. I got really, really attached to this one therapist. And of course, you know, you know, U.S. insurance is garbage. So 
I only had 50 sessions of like therapy with this woman, but I got super attached to her. And I remember like we had to stop, like stop seeing each other and it fucked me up. And it just made me not want to see therapists anymore because it made me feel like, oh, they just want money. And when there's no more money, they don't care about the person anymore. Obviously, I was a child, so. That's so traumatizing. Yeah. So I can see why a lot of people have a lot of, especially coming from a Latino background, a lot of mental health is pretty much swept under the rug. Like if you go to therapy, you're crazy. So, and I, I know that's very prominent in, for people of color when it comes to therapy. It's like, mm. no, you're crazy. You don't need, you don't need to go speak to those people. You don't need to speak to a shrink. It's all negative verbiage around going to therapy. I'm glad your family took you, you know, in the first place. And then I was gonna, I was gonna say like your symptoms must have been pretty bad to get to that point. Um, I had tried to kill myself by at a very young okay. age. Um, you know, like I said, I came from a rough life. We were homeless many times throughout my life. We moved around a lot. Uh, my father was an aircraft mechanic, and so he was trying to find better employment and. He was still in school and there was a lot of stuff going on back then where, you know, at the point when I had tried to, I tried to kill myself in school. So my, my mom at the, at the time really had no choice but to put me into therapy. It was that or like CPS, mm. you know what I mean? Gotcha. But only 50 sessions. Correct. So once the, the sessions were over, I, I don't know, they were just like, cool, like you're, you're fine. Like you don't, you don't need therapy anymore. Did they treat you differently? After that, or before, maybe? My family or the therapist? My family. Um, not really, because, again, and, and when it comes to people of color, like, mental health is not something that's discussed. Um, it's like, okay, you went to go talk to that, to that lady, like, you're fine now. They said you're fine. There's nothing else that we need to discuss or talk about. And so I struggled for a lot of years with that, like, not having that outlet or anyone to talk to um, and deal with my my... Because the reality is I'm a big believer in the fact that even, you know, medications and stuff like that, they're just, it's just dealing with the symptoms. And I feel like therapy yeah. really kind of tries to attack the root cause. Totally. Yeah. My therapist said something so good the other day. I, I was complaining that I felt like I was just putting a Band-Aid on my problems. And uh, his response was, well, sometimes we need Band-Aids. Like Band-Aids aren't bad mm -hmm. they keep you from getting infected they mm -hmm. keep the site clean like why do people say that like it's a negative thing and that kind of got me thinking uh i think it's not necessarily a negative thing but for my specific case i would say it was a negative thing because it already it kind of you you know as when you're a child you know the things that you experience as a child mold you and shape you into who you become as an adult so it taught me mm -hmm. that my feelings don't matter that what my thoughts, what thoughts I have don't matter. You see what I mean? So yeah. it, it really wasn't a healthy situation when, again, it's very prominent for people of color. It's like, okay, you mm -hmm. saw that person. They said you're good. You don't need to talk about this anymore. So to not have a therapist at that point, I kind of spiraled at that point out of, out of it. Um, I started just, you know, drinking, became an alcoholic was, you know, doing all types of drugs. I mean, I tried everything under the sun except for shooting heroin. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I did a lot of crazy shit in my youth and it was just not a good time. And I think a lot of it could have been avoided had I still continued to be in therapy. But it's like you said, you didn't really have a choice. I mean, you got the 50 sessions and then um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you even got those 50 sessions, but it sounds like the transition back to regular life wasn't very smooth no. at all. No, and it's not like there was any warning beforehand of like, hey, we're getting close to being done with these sessions. It was just like, mm -hmm. hey, you're, I left my session and it was like, cool, like, bye. Like, it's just a horrible situation. But so yeah. I, I say all that to say I understand why a lot of people have a, a this bad taste in their mouth, you know, when they have experiences like you were saying earlier with a horrible therapist sometimes not that she was a horrible therapist but she was in an impossible position you know yeah. so the system needs reform in my opinion but i could see why people stray away from therapy especially as people of color when you're already told your whole life that if you go to a therapist it's because you're crazy or something's wrong with you or that you can't benefit from it and you have to just learn to suck it up 
so to speak, and keep on moving, keep on pushing. Yeah. So you were eight when you found, got a, that therapist and lost her? Yeah, I was like eight or not. Well, sorry, I was probably like nine or 10, actually, because I, I just thought about that. I didn't move to Pennsylvania until I was like 10. So at that point, you had already been diagnosed as bipolar too? No, I wasn't diagnosed till I was probably about 10. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What led to that diagnosis? Um, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. I was so young that I don't really know what happened there. I do remember as I got older and I got back into therapy, finally as an adult, then it was like, oh yeah, you have you have bipolar disorder. And the, the what led to that diagnosis was the fact that I, at, at that point now, by the time I went back to therapy, I was, therapy, I was probably about 18 when I finally went back to therapy and I was still on drugs pretty heavily, still an alcoholic pretty heavily. Um, and I tried to get myself into therapy just because I was trying to, you know, I was trying to get clean and, um, you know, I was homeless at that point. You know, I, I was on and off homeless since I was 14. So by 18, I was like, yeah, I, I should probably try to do something different. And so get back into therapy and they're like, yeah, you definitely, well, they called it manic depression because that's what the new, that's what the DSM calls it now is manic depression. So they came to that conclusion because of the fact that my symptoms were, I was very impulsive. I did a lot of like crazy stuff. Like I felt like I was invisible, like invincible. You know what I mean? Like I could do anything. I could jump off a bridge and nothing would happen. You know, I would have these periods of time, probably like sometimes two weeks, sometimes months of just like impulsiveness insomnia I could sleep for like two hours and be like going I mean drugs probably didn't have have helped that because I'd go on binges and be you know I'd go on those binges and be awake for two three days at a time Um, but I could sleep for two hours and be like cool like fuck yeah I'm ready to go like I'm ready to go do some shit you know God, I miss those days of, of being able to survive on two hours of sleep. I mean, not the drugs. <laughs> uh, but even now, like at 27, I don't take any uh, medications for bipolar disorder. I have in the past. I don't like it. And just with my addictive, my addictive personality, I choose to abstain from any type of like prescription medications. I don't like the way they make me feel. They numb you. They make you feel like you're not. For me personally, make me feel like I'm not yeah. really experiencing life. Um, and I found that for me, therapy has been that thing that has really helped me mentally and kind of learn my thought patterns and learn my behaviors and learn when I'm kind of going into that impulsive mode and when I'm going into that depressive mode because what makes it bipolar or manic depression is the ups and downs it's not a constant if that makes sense so you'll have moments of impulsiveness elation you feel invincible you know at those times I might sometimes have like spending sprees and and put myself in debt and do crazy shit just not think about it and then when I go through the depressive mode it's it could be months that I could be depressed I I don't I I still struggle with sleep or just all types of stuff and so I've learned through therapy how to like recognize that and how to keep that keep those things at bay you know what I mean and I honestly believe that that if I didn't have therapy like I wouldn't be the person that I am now able to have more control over those feelings and stuff. I'm not downing medication. I think medication is great for people who need it. Like you said, like, you know, the Band-Aid. It, sometimes mm, yeah. sometimes medication helps people to feel a little bit more relaxed so that they can open up in therapy and deal with the pain points and deal with that deeper issue. Uh, my wife is, you know, she's dep- she has depression and she, she takes mm-hmm. medication and that, that helps her a lot, you know, so... I'm not, it's not that I down medication or think that it's, I I just don't think it's for everyone. Oh, totally. Everyone's different. Someone might take it for like a year and then be able to get off it. Someone might be on it for life, you know? Exactly. It's it's so subjective. You can't really use blanket statements here. Mm -hmm, Exactly. There's so many nuances to it. And that's why I think it's, I'm always pushing for people to, hey, go see a therapist, see Mm -hmm. a psychiatrist, find someone. I mean, I currently, I work with a few different therapists. I have a network of people that I can refer to people that I trust, that I build relationships with, that I know are good people and that really do want to help the people that they see. So I'm always encouraging people to see a therapist. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it is definitely a privilege to be able to have therapy, like, um, cause I know it is less accessible to people of color and mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you want to talk about your experience with that? Um, I would say that 
I'm grateful that I've been able to find people that I can vibe with, that I trust. Um, sometimes it's sad as a person of color. I don't see many people of color who are therapists. So sometimes there's not that relatability. Yeah. Um, my current therapist is a white woman and there are some things in my life that she just is not going to understand uh, as there's, and it's not a slight against, you know, white people. It's not a slight against her. She's an awesome person. You know, I'm grateful to her to being my therapist and all the stuff that she's taught me. But at the same time, sometimes it's hard when you can't find people who are like you. And, and that's not a fault of the system. That's a fault of us as people of color who don't go into these fields that they, we should. And we should be involved in these fields where we can be that voice and be that shoulder to lean on for other people of color who are out there who need help. Yeah. When you went to therapy for the first, like I, you were saying, like the people of color should be, you know, go become therapists essentially. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I feel like there's also roadblocks in place oh, of course. for that to happen, you know, like, and it was like you were saying um, before, like mental illness and is kind of looked down on and even uh, feared. Mm-hmm. Is that an accurate assessment? I would say it's not even, I, I don't think it's a fear in the sense of, oh, we're afraid of you being crazy. I think that there's a lot of pride. I would think that's a better word, pride. Because as people of color dealing with a lot of the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, we have to be strong, right? You don't want to look weak. You don't want to feel weak as you already are. Like you said, there are roadblocks and there are situations and things in place mm-hmm. to keep to keep us where we are, right? So I personally feel that the reason why our families and our culture will sit there and say, you don't need this, you don't need that, is because we want to appear and constantly be strong, and have our heads held high of who we are and where we come from. And if we can have all of these things that beat us down and we still get through it, then we're strong. You don't need a therapist for that. And that's something that therapy can't teach you. It's, it's kind of, I feel, the the thought process behind why, we, why a lot of people of color look down on therapy so much. And I think that's more in the older generations, not so much the younger generation, like our age and younger and, and even some people in their 40s and 50s, I would say. So I would say like Gen X and millennials don't really have so much of that mentality, but it's still definitely there. But it's I think as time goes on, that that stigma will start to go away a lot more. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, and we need more conversations like this. You know, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about oh, for it. Sure. It's just the conversation needs to keep happening. And I think people are sometimes afraid to have that conversation because to, to sit up here and say no, like to my mom, my father, no, you're wrong. You know, everybody can benefit from therapy. We all have our struggles. We all have our stories. We all have a unique experience and trauma and baggage, and we can all benefit from from therapy. And so I think sometimes it's a fear too to sit, to stand up to your parents and say, you're wrong, yeah. you're wrong. And we, we should partake in this because it's a good resource. It's a valuable resource. And I think there's a little bit of fear in that to, to stand up to your culture and tell them that they're wrong when there's so much pride. You said you're from a Latino family? Yeah, I'm Puerto Rican. Okay, 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 cool. I'm Puerto Rican. Do you talk to your family at all? I know you've been through some rough times with them. Um, my father died when I was 12, so no. Okay. Um, my mother, we are starting to build a better relationship now that I'm an adult. We're getting there in terms of that. And therapy helps. See? Therapy works. Yeah. Um, I wish I could get her into therapy, but that's another story for another time. Right? As they say, you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I do speak with my family. My sister is definitely a, one of my biggest um, supporters. She's definitely, she's more of my mom sometimes than my mom is. And so I do speak with my family. And as someone who is Puerto Rican, you know, family is very important to me and my culture. Yeah. Um, so I, I try my best with my family, but I'm also a no bullshit kind of guy. Like I don't deal with people who disrespect me or who don't take the same steps to try to be in my life that I would take to be in theirs. So it's kind of one of those things. I got some family that I deal with and some that I don't. And it just is what it is. Yeah, relationships of any sort, they need to be balanced. Like you can't put more effort in than they do because that just leads to resentment. Of course. I tend to pick the wrong people and learn the hard way. So you are not on any medication. You just no. do therapy. Okay. No. That, does that work? That works okay for you? I, I just don't know much about bipolar or manic depression. Um, For me personally, it's worked out. 
Um, I, I like going to therapy. My therapist deals with cognitive behavioral therapy as well as what's called EMDR, um, which is not, it's still kind of a, not a newer thing, but it's not something that's done a lot, but I enjoy it. Um, she's, I think that for me personally, the biggest part in helping kind of contain mental illness in my, for me is under coming to the realization that like, I'm not, I'm not my mental illness. I think that's the hardest part for a lot of us who struggle with mental illness is that we identify so strongly with it. We'll say things like I'm depressed or I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm bipolar or I'm, I'm anxious. So we identify with it and we become attached to that identity of having a mental illness and something that's helped me really deal with that and process and get to a better mental health space is by recognizing that I am not depressed. I may have depression or feel depressed sometimes, but that's an affliction of my body. That's not an affliction of me, if that makes sense. I've, I've learned to separate me from the illness and to look at it objectively. So that's helped. And, and, you know, meditation, I'm very big on Mm. meditation, mindfulness. I read a lot of books. I'm very, very fascinated by, by psychology and the way our brains work. And, and so because of that, I've, I I think I'm in a good place. Yeah. That's great news. Yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about identity, like that really resonated with me. It's been something I've been thinking about quite often the last few days, actually, just, um, making your mental illness into your identity because mm-hmm. uh, you know i have a mental health podcast and sometimes and i'm known as the person who talks about mental health stuff mm-hmm. and you know it's vulnerable and brave yada 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 but like i feel like that's become such a huge identity now i can't step away from it but you've also said something key there you said i have a podcast you are not a podcast you have one <laughs> you know debatable <laughs> you know um <laughs> But I think that's important is to is to recognizing that and to not try not identifying with that, you know, is, yeah. is not be making it a part of who you are, because at the end, it's not who you are. It's just a part of you, you know. Oh, 100 percent. Like I, I'm passionate about helping people with addiction and talking about feelings and all that. But then at the end of the day, sometimes I just want to, like, close the computer and, like, read a magazine or something, you know, like. Mm-hmm. I dye my hair. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Sometimes you want to separate. You want to separate from. Yeah, it. there's also a comfort with having just one solid identity. You know. But the thing, the thing about that is, if you've put yourself in a box, you've put yourself in a box to this one thing, and then that limit, that's a limiting belief. It limits your possibilities, where you, you know, who you could become or what other avenues you could take, you know? And so that's why I'm not, I hate labels. I hate um, identifying with things. I just like to say, I'm just me. I'm like, I'm just a, I'm just a person. I'm just, I just exist. (laughs) I'm just being here, you know? I'm just vibing. Yeah, basically. I know that sounds like some hippie shit, but you know, I think that when you have that mentality, you could, you actually start to find who you really are deep down. Yeah. Once you get rid of all the expectations, it's just like, who am I when there's no one around? Um, we've talked about your bipolar and everything. And you, at the same time that you were dealing with that, like you're also trans. So I want you to talk about that. And like when you first started knowing that you were. Um, I think that I've always kind of known something was different about me. I didn't have the language or the verbiage to talk, like to say what was happening. Um, So I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not one of those people. And I talk about this frequently on like my YouTube channel and stuff. I'm not one of those people that like, I was just like, I was five and I knew I was a boy. You know what I mean? That, that wasn't my experience. First off, I was dealing with so much other shit going on that that was like the last thing that I was worried about or concerned about. I think what the, the catalyst for me was back when I was about 16, 17, I tried to kill myself. Um, I overdosed, I took a, took a lot of drugs and tried to kill myself. Um, and then, you know, at the time I was with my wife, we weren't married at the time. And, you know, she, she was just telling me like, you, you gotta, you gotta do something different. You know, I remember I was laying in our, we had this really like, we lived in the most horrible place, like in the hood. I mean, there was a bullet hole in my window, um, like in my bathroom. Yeah. Like we lived in the hood. Okay. And 
I, I had binged out for like three days and then finally like I just crashed and I was going through withdrawal and this was shortly after I tried to kill myself and I'm laying on the couch vomiting, you know, withdrawal and all this shit, yeah. you know, and I was in and out of consciousness and I remember I had woken up and I looked over and my wife was crying and she had set the Christmas tree up by herself. Mm. And so I looked, I remember I looked over at her and I was like, what's wrong? And she was like, um, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep watching you like kill yourself. Like you don't care about yourself. You don't care about me. You know, like I can't do this. And so it was a kind that was like the pivoting moment for me when I realized something's wrong with me because I don't want to live. I, I, I care about these people and stuff, but I don't care about myself. I don't want to live. I'm not happy. And so I kind of got to this realization where I had, I was like self-medicating, you know, I was just trying to numb, numb myself. I just didn't want to feel anything. I didn't want to deal with my problems, anything like that. So I started going to therapy, try to get off the drugs. I finally get off the drugs and I'm, I finally got a decent job and I'm working at um, an airport at the time. And I've always been a masculine person. Like I've always dressed masculine. I've always looked at myself in a masculine way. But again, I didn't have the verbiage like this wasn't even though transgender people have been around since the beginning of time, we didn't have the the visibility that we have now. So I didn't even know what it was. I remember back in high school, I had a friend who, you know, I'm going to say he's a guy because I don't know if he's trans now or what. So, uh, but he was a crossdresser and he dressed like a woman. He had long hair, like men, like I'd get into fights for him and he'd get into fights because people thought he was a woman and would you know, get up, upset when they realized that he was a man. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, that well, that was kind of like my first realization that there were people out there who could even present differently than how they were born. Now, granted, I don't know if he is transgender or not. I'm just this was just my experience. You know yeah. what I mean? Um. So then I was like, okay, I'm working in this male-dominated field. I kept constantly getting called sir. Right. And so I went, I'm, I'm in my therapy office. I'm, I'm talking with my therapist. And I was, I remember being really angry and telling her like, it's pissing me off that people keep calling me sir, because I feel like I should be a man and I'm not, but yet they see me that way. But why can't I be that way? That was like the aha moment of like, oh, some, something's going on with me. Like what's happening to me. And once I started like kind of uncovering that with my therapist and going, dealing with a lot of trauma, processing all of that and kind of getting to a better headspace. That's when I learned, oh, there are trans, I can do that. I can actually transition. And so the more I processed trauma, things I had repressed, the more I started realizing that even since I was a kid, I had had those feelings. Uh, You know, when you're a kid and you have your imaginary friends and, you know, you have your imaginary playtime and I always saw myself as a boy, but I physically did not look like a boy. So it was like, it was always this confusion within me, like, but this is not how I look. And especially growing up in a Latino household, there are very, very clear gender roles. This is what women do. This is what men do. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. And da 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 And it was all these expectations from my mother, from my father, especially not only them being Latino, but then on top of them being super religious. So it was Mm. all of these expectations on what I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. Then I started dating girls and people would sit there and call me a lesbian. I was like, it never felt right. So people would call me that, but I never called myself that. You know, I was like, I'm not a lesbian. I just like women. Like it's normal. Like, what do you mean? I didn't understand because I didn't make that connection. Again, I didn't know that trans people even exist or that was a thing or that could even be a, a potential that you could do. So that kind of brought me into like I said, therapy and everything I just explained. Yeah. And then um, I took a long time. I took a year off of social media at this time. This was now seven, almost seven years ago. I took a year off social media. I literally didn't, I had a complete media blackout. I didn't watch TV. I didn't listen to the radio unless it was like music. You know, I didn't, yeah. um, I, I didn't watch TV. I didn't go on Facebook, nothing. I got, I, I just complete media blackout. And I, I did that because I'm the type of person I overanalyze everything and I want to make sure that whatever it is I'm thinking or feeling is coming from me and not an influence of something outside of me. So I stayed in therapy, did that. And then I, I know I started kind of playing in a sense with my gender, but I did it at home. And so the only person that knew at the time was my wife. I was already married, legally married okay. at this point, um, legally married at this point. And so 
my wife um is a you know she does makeup and stuff so she would draw a beard on me you know she would call me micah and he him and you know i started wearing men's underwear because that was the only thing masculine that i didn't do i wore men's clothes i just never wore men's underwear yeah so that to me was like this big thing like oh shit like i can wear men's underwear like this is awesome um (laughs) and and um you know i did that for like a year and i got to a point where i broke down and i was like i was in the shower and me and my wife were talking and she was like so what does like this mean for us? Because my wife at the time, and still my wife identifies as a lesbian. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I have plenty of questions about your relationship, but I'm excited. I will definitely. <laughs> I will get into all of that. I, I am. I'm not offended by any questions as long as they're not like inappropriate questions. <laughs> so I, I said, you know, she said, "What does this mean for our relationship?" Because she's a lesbian, and here I am telling you, I'm a man. And, you know, it was a lot of struggling and and it was a lot of tears. And I remember being just, I got to the point where I said to her, I have to try this. I have to go for it. I have to try. I want to, I want to find out if I can medically do this. Um, Because now at this point, I had some knowledge of trans people. I knew that there were um, uh, male to female trans women um, who were able to medically transition. I started learning about there being other people like me, female to male, um, who were transitioning and medically doing it. And there were procedures I could do and there was, you know, hormones I could take and there was a way I could physically um, become who I had always felt that I was. And so, you know, like I said, because I had taken all that time to really like think about this, I got to a point I cried and I, I, I honestly, at that point, it was for me, it was like, it was a do or die situation for me. I felt in that moment, if I don't take these steps and try, I'm going, I'm going to kill myself because there's no point in living if I can't live happy. If I can't be who I am, then there's no point in me living. And that was, that. it was from there on, I, I started taking testosterone. I started tra- med- medically transitioning. I got my name changed, had surgery, like, and we can get into all of those things. Um, and from there, it was like, I, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Like, I totally, I feel like I'm excited for what future to hold. For the future holds. I want to see tomorrow. I want to live my life. I've never felt like that. I've always been depressed. I always wanted to kill myself. I had attempted suicide three times in my life. This was the first time when COVID hit. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking die. I don't want to die anymore. <laughs> like, I want to actually live. I want to, you know, I want to see where my life can go Isn't now. Isn't that wild? Just like the concept of looking forward to things. Like, it, it is wild. <laughs> it's so crazy. It is wild. Like crazier than anything else you said tonight. I'm just like, it's wild. You know, as someone, you know, I'm sure you know, as someone who struggled with addiction, that there's a point where you're like, you don't care, you don't think about the next day. You think about the next time you can get high. Oh, exactly. That's the next moment, and you think about, okay, like you don't really think about dying. You're just like, I'm ready to die. Like I don't give a shit. Whatever happens, happens. Like you, it's just not. You don't think about tomorrow. You think about right now. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with thinking about right now. It's definitely a coping mechanism. Like if I tried thinking further than right now, I would probably, you know, kill myself or something. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's hard sometimes. Like your body just shuts down everything, and and except for the bare minimum, you know. And the bare yeah. minimum is, you know, surviving till I get my next high. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how long have you known your wife? I've known her since I was 16. Okay. Actually, if you really want to be technical, we've known of each other since we were probably about 15, but we didn't, we never really, we were always in each other's circles, but we never like really talked to one another until we were about 16. Okay. And that's the same age that you found out you were trans? That when I think back on my life, I think that was when it was like, oh, that's when things were starting to escalate for me. I would say I've known since I was a kid, but I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 when I think back on my life, these, they seem like puzzle pieces and they all kind of fit and make sense now. But in the moment I couldn't see that picture. I, I, I didn't know what was happening. So for me, I usually say I didn't really know until I was probably about 20. Well, I'm, yeah. Cause you were just a kid and you thought. Did you think you were a lesbian? I've always liked girls. I never considered myself a lesbian. I never, I never said I was a lesbian. I never, you know, I just, I, cause I didn't know that I didn't, again, I didn't have the language to explain I am transgender. 
So to me, when I would tell people, I'm, I would literally tell people, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a lesbian. I just like women. They look at me like I was fucking crazy. Like I had two yeah. heads. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? You're, you're a girl and you like fucking women. You're a lesbian. And I'm like, no, I'm not a lesbian though. To, even to me, that made sense because it was like, I couldn't really explain no it's because i don't this isn't right like so i don't see myself as a girl so therefore i'm not a lesbian i couldn't explain that did you date growing up yeah i've dated i've dated i've I've dated girls my basically my whole life <laughs> basically my whole life i also wanted to ask you about transitioning and how, i mean sure. you must how you felt because that's huge that's a lot of things to do from like the medication to the surgeries and like telling people I actually didn't tell anyone when I, um, I didn't have the whole coming out story like people, like a lot of people do, because I personally didn't feel like it was anybody's business. I felt like I'm living my life. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything to anyone. I'm living my life. And so the only person I actually would say that I came out to was my wife. Mm-hmm. And I, that was the only person I felt like I had an explanation to give anyone to because I was married to her. And when you're married, your whole your whole thinking, your whole thought process is different because you're not just thinking about yourself. You have to think about your partner, you know? So I came out to her and I was like, this is what I'm feeling. And she knew everything that was going on as it was happening. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going to do. And she was, you know, she was, eh, she wasn't as supportive at first because she, there was questions that she had for herself now and her identity and her sexuality and her so she was processing things on her own and I was processing what I was going through on my own mm-hmm. to a certain degree um in terms of like my family I didn't really come out I mean I went to my sister and I'm like hey by the way like I'm trans and I'm, I'm medically transitioning now and she was like oh okay like of course I had to explain what that meant right because she didn't know what that meant you know, and so I had to explain to her, hey, this is what this means. It means I don't identify like I don't feel like this, like this body matches what I am, who I am. And I just say I'm really I, I have a lot of respect for you for not, you know, for not having this huge coming out story. You know, I think it, when you it's said it's story. not, well, of course, but when <laughs> you said it's not anybody's business, like that really resonated because it's not. It's not to a certain degree. I understand why people come out. I understand why people do it. You know, I understand because there is a fear of like not being accepted. I've lost family for this. I've lost friends because of this. I've I've lost people that I cared about because of who I am, you know, and there I face discrimination because of it. I've had death threats. I've had all those things because just because I simply exist, not because I'm doing anything to anyone, not because I'm I'm a shitty human being. No, just because I exist and people don't understand. And that's kind of why I do what I do on, on YouTube, on my podcast, because I want to be a voice that people can talk, listen to and say, oh, you're just a human being like everybody else. So granted, I and I, and I also like to answer questions and, and educate people so that people can understand and try to conceptualize, because if we don't explain this, you know, how, how do I can't expect you to understand? I can't expect you to respect something that you don't understand. Yeah, especially when you've brought, been brought up in the society, you know, um, this current generation, I think, is a little more aware than past ones, but we're all still get growing, you know. And we're all trying to figure it out. Like, this shit don't come with a book, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, like I said, I didn't really come out to nobody. It was more of just like, I just started transitioning. I, li- I just started doing my thing. I started taking hormones. Um, I was of age. I, I was of sound mind. I was in therapy. I can make my own decisions. I don't need to explain myself to anyone. What was the process of getting on hormones? Like once you decided you wanted to medically transition, like what did you encounter any like obstacles to that? There is definitely um, a lot of obstacles. People think that, oh, you can say you're trans and now like you go and transition and it happens like this. It doesn't happen that way. And it also depends on where you live and what the laws are and, you know, what, so there's a lot there. But for me personally, um, I had to have a letter from my therapist saying that I was basically mentally capable of making that decision, that I was mentally able to, I could go into this and understand full on well what I was getting myself into. Sometimes they have a lot of requirements, like you have to live as the other gender for a year. Some places have requirements that you have to uh, uh, see therapist for a year at least before they'll allow you to get hormones. Then there is what's called informed consent, meaning you can go to a doctor who specializes like an endocrinologist um, or even like a Planned Parenthood somewhere that that specializes with um, uh, gender affirming services. And 
they'll allow you to do is called informed consent where you have to be of age obviously to give consent which that's different i know for whatever state you're in but i know here it's 18 and you can say to them this is who i am and they'll give you a sheet of you know as long as your arm that'll tell you all the side effects and all the things that can happen and things that they don't know about and all this other stuff and you sign the paper that you understand what you're getting yourself into i'm so curious about your wife you guys were like both taking some time to like think about things and where you were Mm -hmm. at right and i know you said earlier that she she's a lesbian and so i'm curious like how you eventually got past that or got through it everybody always asks that question especially when i'm like yeah my wife's a lesbian they're like no no she's not (laughs) no my wife is still a lesbian she will tell you straight up like i'm a lesbian i promise if i had had more time to prepare i would have prepared some spicier questions for you (laughs) (laughs) you're all good um yeah, no, with um, with her, it was hard. We were on the verge. We almost had a divorce. We were going to get divorced because a lot of it happened from my own insecurity. You know, there's a lot of toxicity within the transgender community. There's a lot of expectations society and the community has upon relationships and people in general. And, I'll, and you know, I might get shit for saying that, but it's, it's the truth. Um, and I started internalizing a lot of things that people were saying. Well, you can't be with someone who says she says they're a lesbian and you're a man because then you're not a man or they don't see you as a man or they don't respect you as a man. And it was just like all this shit that I started internalizing. And so I started taking that out on my wife and being like, you have to change your sexuality. You can't say you're a lesbian. If you're going to be a lesbian, don't tell people you're a lesbian because people look at me like weird when you say that. And I, I was putting a lot of expectations on her. And eventually she was, she was already confused with how she felt, yeah. especially when I started when my voice started getting deeper, when my body started to change, when my my facial hair started coming in, she was already like dealing with that on top of me telling her, now you have to change who you are. Um, and so we were on the verge of divorce and she was like, I love you and I'll support you, but I don't know if I can be with you. And that shit hurt, but I respected it. Like I understood that you got to do what's right for you too. I I would be selfish to try to make you stay in a situation that you're uncomfortable with. And so- you know, we kept t- talking about it and, and I started because I was in therapy and I was bringing up a lot of these things and, and, and working through all of my own shit. I got to a place that I could feel secure with myself and be like, you know what, if you're telling me you love me because it's me, like I personally believe that sexuality is fluid and I my agree. wife would tell you the same thing. Sexuality is very fluid. She f- identifies as a lesbian we we walking down the beach on the boardwalk she'll see a fine woman be like damn babe look at that fine woman now that's human nature you can't you can't help what you're attracted to and what you're aroused by i'm not gonna be mad at you for that even if it was a man i wouldn't be upset with her for looking at a man i look at women all the time (laughs) you know what i mean so that's just reality but uh you know we got to a place where she sat me down we had a we had a conversation and it was like look i love you yeah, you're not a woman anymore. You don't look like a woman. You don't sound like a woman. You don't, you know, your parts don't look the same. Like everything is different, but I love you. You're the same person inside. You're the same person. You look different, but you, you have the same morals, the same character, the same thought process. You are the same person. You just look different or you, now you look like what you've always felt inside and what you've always presented and projected to me. But now I'm physically seeing that. I love that. Like, I I think we focus too much on labels and like, what, what am I, you know, what is this? Like what, when we should just enjoy it and be like, Hey, I found someone I love. Why question it? Exactly. And she was just like, look, at the end of the day, like you're, you're the person I want to be with. It doesn't matter what parts you have. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound like. You're still the person I fell in love with. I love you. That's it. You know? And when you have, I personally believe when you have a, an intimate, connection with someone and i feel like that sometimes can turn into a sexual a sexual thing because that was a that was a def that was a definite hump in our in our relationship our in our sex life it was because it was like she's attracted to women i do i look like a woman to you i know the audience can't see me but i don't i don't sound like a woman i don't look like a woman you know so to her it's like i'm fucking a man you know because i'm a man so it's like you're i'm fucking a man this is weird you know yeah and so it was a definite like learning curve and, beca- and you take that into account with all the like emotional disconnect that we had made that so much harder, you know, especially I'm about to mansplain over here, but you know, women are much more emotional 
not in a bad way, meaning they need that emotional connection. And at least that's what my wife needed. She needed that emotional connection, that that intimacy. And for me, it's like, I'll fuck anything. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'll put a bag over your head, you know? It's whatever. Like, I don't need to look at your face, you know? like So romantic. <laughs> but it's the truth, though. Like, it's the truth. Like, you, you, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, so once we were able to like reconnect emotionally and be, get in a, a, a in a understanding of each other and stop work and we stopped worrying so much about how society was viewing us and how all of these labels were putting us in this box and, and doing all that then we were able to really like flourish in our relationship sometimes when i find myself influenced by other people's judgments i i think okay what if it was just me and this one person alone in a compound no one else how would i act around them and that's the answer to my question you know like if mm-hmm. i didn't have to worry about labels if, if facebook wasn't a thing or if whatever i once yeah. you get into the labels are bad kind of mm-hmm. way of thinking i think your whole all of your other perspectives kind of start to shatter oh yeah for sure and and I think it's it's understandable as it's a, it's a part of the human condition. We need something to, to feel like we belong and to connect with other people. So we use these labels to identify with one another, to relate to one another. But then we take that to this whole other dimension where it's like you're in a box now. Now, if you're not that thing, you don't belong anywhere. So people kind of put themselves in this box and refuse to look outside of it because who would they be? Where would they fit in? So yeah. they'll force themselves to stay a certain way because it makes them comfortable to another to an, in another sense, you know. Goes back to the identity thing we were talking about earlier. Exactly, and so once we got past that and stopped caring about what society was saying, what the transgender community was saying, and this is it's sad for me. It was really hurtful because it was coming from the community that says you can relate to me. It's telling me I'm wrong for being for loving someone just because they don't identify a certain way. It's impossible. And that was the, the, the conversation that it's impossible for her to love me. No, it's not. It's really not that difficult. But you also and I think also in the community, something that I get a lot of shit for is when I say like as trans people, you have to acknowledge, though, that we are different. We are different. Like, I'm OK with being different. I'm different. I look like a man. I sound like a man. But I can't you know, there are certain things that are important in relationships that I can't give. My wife wants a child. I can't give you a child. I'm sorry. I can't do that for you. You grew up without any trans or influences. And I know, well, at least in the beginning, you said you didn't really have know anyone to talk to about this stuff or it wasn't really talked about in the pop culture. Yeah, I would say it's more that it wasn't talked about more in the mainstream. It was always there, but it wasn't something that I was aware of. And to be honest, even now that I'm, I'm I, I put my face out there, I put my voice out there. I have, you know, I, I mentor other trans guys i talk to people i outside of this space i don't really care that much i don't talk to like i don't go looking for trans friends i don't because yeah. it's not that big of a deal like this is more of a space where yeah i want to help other people yeah. have a place in a community where they can feel safe to to talk about stuff and get no nonsense like i'm i'm not gonna bullshit you like if you if it hurts your feelings i'm sorry I know some people don't have access to, you know, that they don't have access to that sort of community. Like they might not have anyone to ask questions to or, Mm -hmm. and I know every community has its flaws, like you said. Of course. um, I don't go around being like, hey, are you trans? Like, exactly. (laughs) You know, and I, and I don't go around telling people, hey, I'm, I'm transgender. Like I'm, cause it's not, why does it matter? I'm just, I agree with that, but also I think it is. I don't know. It's important to have community too. It's just like, it is important to have community, but there's a time and place for it. I don't have to go around and saying, Hey, like, first off, it's not safe to just tell anybody that that's one. And two, my whole thing is if you're not financing me, feeding me or fucking me, it's none of your business. Yeah. If I'm going to sit here and say, I'm, I'm a guy just like everybody else, then why do I have to parade around and tell everybody I'm trans? I'm saying I'm a guy like everybody else. So what was the point of saying it? Now, granted, if I was in a situation where I wasn't married and I was out there dating, yeah, I'm going to tell I'm going to be up front and be like, hey, I'm a transgender man. Like I, I'm I was not born a man. You know, I don't have sperm. I can't impregnate you if that's something you're looking for. If you want children, if, I don't even want children. But if you want children, I can't give them to you anyway. Like I'm going to be upfront about that because not everybody can handle. And a lot of people don't like hearing that, but that's the reality. A lot of people can't handle being in a relationship with someone who's transgender. There's a financial burden. There's an emotional burden. There's a, there's, there's so much 
it's so much nuance in being with someone. Who's, and my wife could tell you, I, 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 she, because we've lived it. When I had surgery, that was fear for her. Even though it's, it's, it, you know, these surgeries are are common and they're not like specific to transgender men or transgender people. They're invasive surgeries. Yeah, I, you're being put under. I who know you don't know what can happen. You don't know if I'm gonna wake up. That's the reality of it. And I'm the breadwinner of my house. If I don't wake up, you're fucked. Yeah, that's a lot of emotional baggage that's for your lot. partner. Yeah, you know that's that's doctor's appointments. That's that you know I I'm, I'm taking testosterone. I'll be on testosterone the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's money. That costs money. That that there's again surgery that. I, like I literally they're wheeling my ass back and she's crying because she's like oh my god like you're gonna go have surgery now then there's there's a grief period of you know feeling like you like you lost that person not necessarily that she lost me but it's the loss of what you perceived me as yeah you're losing that that you know there's there's so much nuance into being in a relationship with a transgender person I understand why a lot of people don't I don't think it's transphobic I hate hearing that I get a lot of shit because I tell people it's not transphobic and I'm like it's not it's not though. You have to understand that this isn't a new thing, but it feels like a new thing to a lot of people for one. And for two, again, there's so much nuance into being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't survive that. What would you tell someone who is trans in the dating scene like, in regards to what telling the other person? Be upfront from the gate from day one. Be upfront. Be upfront because why put yourself in a position, first off, Transgender people are killed at the at a higher rate than any other community. Specifically, trans women of color are killed at a higher rate than any other community. Now, I'm not blaming trans people for that because regardless, it shouldn't be happening. And I'd say that for any crime, it shouldn't happen. But the reality is we don't live in a utopia. So you have to take measures to protect yourself from potential situations. What if, you know, you might not feel safe telling them? Then you shouldn't be with them if you don't feel safe telling them anyway. So that's, that's the first, my, this, what I, my advice would be this, let's say you're, you're, this, a trans person and you're talking online to someone and it's your first interaction with them, tell them straight up, like, you know, you don't have, you can feel them out for a little bit, maybe like a day or two, feel them out, see how they, how you vibe with that person. You know, within the first 30 seconds of meeting someone, if you like them or not, that's reality. That's just by, that's just the way our brains work. That's how we work as humans. You can tell if you got chemistry with someone or not. Well, within that day, you should be able to be like, hey, I want you to be aware and it's okay if you're not okay with this, but I want you to have a choice in this. I'm I'm a transgender man or I'm a transgender woman, a woman. And if they don't know what that means, explain to them what that means. Hey, I was I was assigned female at birth. I was assigned male at birth or however you want to say it. I was born as a woman. I was born in whatever terminology you want to use that you think is appropriate for you because I'm not going to tell people what they should or shouldn't say, but explain that up front this is where i came from this is who i am right now this is what i look like is what i sound like but this is the reality of my situation if you can't deal with that i completely understand and there's no hard feelings and you don't have to continue talking to me be up front with people don't don't let people don't drag it on two three months two three weeks and getting somebody in their feelings attached to you or you getting attached to someone and they don't know that that pertinent information because at the end of the day, it's going to come to a point where you're either going to have to have sex. You're going to have sex with this person at some point in time. You're going to meet this person and the way you look in your picture may not be how you look in real life or, you know, they may pick up on something. You don't, don't put yourself in a predicament where you could potentially be harmed. And I'm not that's not me blaming the victim. That's me saying as humans, we have a responsibility to our survival. That's just being, that's survival. That's not about being transphobic. That's not about victim blaming. Survival. If you, you have to be smart about what you do and don't do. Yeah. Just be upfront with people. There are so many people out there who will be, who will either be like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Or you might have people that be like, you know what? That's not for me. I don't have any, maybe we could be friends or I got nothing against it. That's just not for me. Don't. And I've seen guys and I've talked to guys who will say, well, that's transphobic. Why don't they want to date me? They should tell me why. Nobody owes you an answer. Don't be weird. Don't be a creep. You don't, you, nobody owes you an answer. They don't want to date you. They don't have to explain why they don't want to date you. Go find somebody that wants to date you. Yeah. It, the answer is so simple. And yet I feel people overcomplicate it. And I get it because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about identity and people, we all instinctually as humans want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be, we want to have relationships. We want intimacy. We're social creatures. We we thrive in social environments. We, we're not meant to be alone. So I understand why it gets hurtful or frustrating for people. But you, again, have to be realistic. Not everybody is going to be cool with that. 
So be upfront because no matter, it's, sometimes it's not just about, oh, it's because I don't, it's not even sometimes that they don't see you as that way. Again, like you're looking at me right now. I look like a man, right? I sound like a man, you know? I'm not an, I don't think I'm an ugly guy. I know I'm not an, I don't care even if you said I was an ugly guy. I'm not an ugly guy, right? So I, that, that's fine and everything else. But then I may be like, hey, I had surgery. I have scars. I have this or I have that. You might just be like, oh, okay, that's a little much for me. You're a good looking guy and I, I respect you as a man and all those things, but that's not for me. Or you might be, I love the person you are and it doesn't matter. Exactly. Like my wife. Yeah, exactly. I love the person you are and it doesn't matter. Oh, God, I want to keep going for hours, but uh, wrapping up. Yeah, you've been such a great guest. I feel like I have barely had to say anything. And you're just I'm like, sorry, I have a habit of no, you're oh, talk, talk. You're a professional, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, you're you're very active in like the trans community. Sounds like can you tell me mm. a little bit about like what you do outside of podcasting and stuff? Um, I'm, I have more of a focus on my YouTube channel. Every Friday nights, I do a live stream where guys can come in and ask me questions. I do tend to focus on the transgender community, but I'm totally fine with anyone coming into that space respectfully and having good, good intention conversations, because I think it's important, like you said, for us to have these conversations, even if you're not trans, maybe you just want to understand. Maybe yeah. you just want to, you want to be an ally, but you need to understand. You want to ask questions. So I, I run a live stream every Friday nights at 930 eastern time and i i'll answer questions we'll, i'll shoot the shit with people we'll talk and then i post videos every tuesday on my youtube channel just i'll pick a topic something pertinent to the trans community whether it's um i, I focus more on mindset than anything else i know a lot of people see me as like the the, tr the big big brother trans guy you know <laughs> but really i talk about mindset because regardless of being trans regardless of being you know, gay, straight, lesbian, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. Like before any of those things, you're a human being. And if you're not right up here in your mind, none of that shit matters. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So your your podcast is kind of like branching off of that. Yeah. So I, I have at first started off in the podcast and and I wanted to do a focus on mental health, mindset, emotions, breaking down emotions in a logical way. And then eventually I got to a place where I wanted to start focusing on the trans community because I started seeing so much negativity, uh, so much uh, conversation from people who aren't transgender and don't know what they're talking about or who don't even look into like the science or anything about it. And so I said, you know what, I want to do something different. And YouTube just seemed to be the best platform for it because a lot of, I don't know what it is, a lot of trans people are on YouTube. <laughs> and I also saw that there were, there weren't any people of color who were trans and there weren't anyone, there weren't any trans men who were out there who were talking about the nuances of social, being socialized as a woman and now being thrust into a, a male world Yeah. Or, or and, and the mindset behind that and dealing with the mental and emotional ramifications sometimes of transitioning that doesn't get talked about it's always about medical transition what you look like what you sound like what you and, and that's great and we still i still have those conversations but my main focus is the is the mentality the mindset the social aspect of transition what's your stream called if people want to go find you on there and realistically free on all platforms just realistically free on youtube that's my youtube channel um, that's my podcast and that's my Instagram, Realistically Free. I'm so excited to listen to more episodes of your podcast. Like literally I yeah, added like that. five of them to my bookmarks folder. <laughs> right now I'm Thank listening to The Secret to the Perfect Relationship. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite. That one's one of my favorites. I, I got another one that's going to be coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a purpose or passion. Ooh, I'm definitely mm. going to gobble that up. Yes. Yeah, um, Mike knows the secret to the perfect relationship, y'all. <laughs> no. Wait till you listen to... I don't know if... You haven't started it yet, right? No, I'm, I'm like halfway through. Oh, so then you realize I, it's I was trying to trick so the sarcastic. audience into uh, going... <laughs> into listening to it. Yeah, I know you're, the not, you're not helping yourself here. I'm trying to get you That's all, listeners. I, I, I keep it real, okay? I'm going to be all the way a thousand. Nobody knows anything. That's I'm fair, just a guy on the internet. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been incredible. Um, do you have anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? No, no, that was everything. I appreciate you having me on. And um, 
I, 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 you know, you definitely, you got to get on my podcast so you can talk a little bit now. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I'm bad at talking. <laughs> that's why I prefer being the host. Cause I just get to like, listen to people tell me their deepest, darkest secrets and cry. That's hard. And it's great. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> oh man but yeah go listen to mike's podcast realistically free and his youtube channel and all that other stuff and yeah i'll be hitting you up i'm so happy to have met you ah it's always nice always nice to meet new people yeah all right have a good night you too bye bye hey guys thanks for listening to this episode of pickles and vodka if you could relate to anything we talked about you can follow the podcast at Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook by typing in Pickles and Vodka Podcast. You can also email me at Pickles and Vodka Podcast at gmail.com if you have any stories or if you just want to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe.